You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. Yo, guys, welcome to our new recording times on Mondays, which I am super excited about. We have a great episode for you today. No guests, because I don't need any stinking guests. Guests just get in the way with all their talking and their banter and their whatnot. And we got a lot to get through today. I don't have time for them and their nonsense talk. We have some really fun stuff for you today off the top, and then we are going to go through AFC training camps with the stuff that you need to know, and none of those guests to get in the way. We just have Tommy, our producer Tommy here. Uh, Hey, you may know me from getting yelled at in previous episodes. Already talking too much, Tommy. Already talking too much. I love Tommy. I just can't decide if he's the best Worst producer or the worst best producer? All I know is when I talk to him, he just wants to go home. Because <laughs> you come That's all you want to do, Tommy. All you want to do is go home. You ask this guy <laughs> to do anything, his immediate result is, oh, I don't know, man. I just want to go. Tommy doesn't want to do any work. That's a problem with you millennials. You don't want to do any goddamn work, man. Well, Tom, how you doing? He's very excited because Premier League starts today. Big soccer fan over here. Yeah, and his shitty Arsenal gunners are still shitty, are they not? Yeah, we are all losses for the season so far. I'm very proud. <laughs> we'll we'll check in periodically on your on your shitty Arsenal gunners. Well, it won't get any better, so. Yeah, I have a feeling. The Arsenal's kind of like in that weird space now where they used to be good and now they're just like We're just like the Spurs of the Premier League, you know periodically what I mean? bad. No, yeah. that's a terrible analogy. It's Tommy, you're already talking too <laughs> much. <laughs> but it was like so I wake up this morning and I log on to my Gmail, and the entire fucking Gmail was different. It's messed up. Like I can't find any of my emails. And I don't know why people just insist on fucking shit up for no reasons. First of all, I fucked up my own Gmail by myself because somebody told me to sign up for one of these casting services. And now I get like 57 emails a day about castings, and I don't even like acting like what the hell am i gonna act as i did one acting thing when i got here within my first two weeks you know what they did made me do what they make you do they put me in one of those things that they wear in saudi arabia <laughs> you know like the thing on the head where you oh have a fucking they, it was terrible i'm not a dashiki not a oh, that's african not a burqa or something turban stuff stuff that those guys wear and stuff but i said i'm coming to hollywood and i'm gonna have dignity not like those other Indian comics. And then within two weeks, I'm in the equivalent of brown face. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't even like acting. Who's my favorite actor? God. I like I like Scott Bakula in Quantum Leap. <laughs> That's my favorite actor. And Tom Cruise when he's running. Tom Cruise when he's running is my favorite actor. That's it. That's all I like. <laughs> you know, nobody runs like Tom Cruise. Like, nobody runs like Tom. I don't think Jesse Owens... Ran like Tom Cruise. And now I noted this long ago. I was early on the Tom Cruise running train. There was two things that I knew before everybody else. Number one, in the Midwest, fifth grade, I was down on Sriracha. I knew that shit. I knew Sriracha was a motherfucking way of life. Then the second thing that I knew is I saw even Stevens. And I said, that Shia LaBeouf is a star. I said it in three minutes. You know what I mean? The second one I was kind of wrong about, but I think that kid could have ended up being like Bill Murray if he didn't go crazy, but we'll end up seeing. But Tom Cruise, like running is now like this whole cultural meme, I guess. But do I get credit for this shit? No. Do I get Sriracha streak <laughs> stock? No. <laughs> but I did see uh, Mission Impossible 6, and there's like, there's no joke. There's a scene in the movie where this dude straight runs for like five minutes. <laughs> like even Usain Bolt is like, what's with all the running, dude? You know what I mean? Like, he runs from one side of Vienna to the other, and it's amazing, you know? And I want to like Tommy Cruz so bad. I want to like Tommy C. I want to like him. But then you hear about, like, this, like, uh, the whole Scientology stuff and that they, like, 
he pretty much had this whole hangar that was built by like slave labor because he didn't have to pay shit. And it makes it really hard to like him. But then I watch how batshit insane he is on YouTube, and I'm glad there's crazy people like this because they are so entertaining. Here to help. I mean, if you're a Scientologist, you see life, you see things the way they are. Only if you're a Scientologist. You see it the way it is. In all its glory, you know, all of its complexity. Uh, and the more you know as a Scientologist, you don't become overwhelmed by it. <laughs> I love the Cruise crazy laugh. Nobody laughs crazy like Tom Cruise, man. He runs crazy and he laughs crazy. And, uh, I went, you know, she, they said, so, like, have you met an SP? <laughs> 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 you know, and I like what? What's the crazy that instigates that? That's not a natural. That's like a Batman villain. You know, one of my favorite third-person Tom Cruise stories is if you ever seen American Psycho. Like Christian Bale is so so good in that. And I forget the name of the director. She directed um, Private Parts and The Late Shift. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> so Christian Bale says that he's there in his hotel room and he's really he's trying to figure out the character and either director called him called her or called Christian or um, he like Christian him on first name basis or um, he saw him on Letterman but as soon as he saw Tom Cruise on Letterman just maniacally laughing goes that that's it that is our Patrick fucking Bateman, man. Yeah, but I find Tom Cruise in Scientology endlessly fascinating to the point where I probably studied it way more than is healthy or that I should. Like, Tommy, ask me a question about Scientology. Any question. See, okay. if, I can, see if I can answer it. How long does it take to become a leader in the Scientologist church? That's such a vague question. I mean, like, specific. There's no such thing as a leader. You have David Miscavige, which is, like, the kind of the pope of the church. But in terms of building your way up, it's how much money you have, how much influence you have, how much Hollywood, okay. how much Hollywood name, credit you have. Name 10, no, 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 five influential people who I wouldn't know are involved in Scientology. I can, I can, sure, I can do that. Um, and I'll leave the most surprising the last two, I'll leave the most surprising for the last two, uh, so I don't forget them. Two that I didn't know. One is, um, did you watch Malcolm in the Middle? Yeah. Do you know the older brother in Malcolm in the Middle? Yeah. Scientologist. <laughs> As a kid? No, now. He's a Scientologist now. Oh, do you man. know? Do you know that 70s show? Yeah. You know Hyde? Yeah. Scientologist. What the fuck? The other one, that one uh, is his brother, the guy from... Uh, He's older than the religion. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. They, actually, the religion starts in the in the 50s. Okay. Um, who else? You know um, Juliet Lewis, Natural Born Killers? Okay. Scientologist. Oh, wow. All right. Now, are you ready? These two are the ones that will really take it out from you, okay? Mm -hmm. Have you seen Ant-Man? Yeah. You know the charming Mexican feller? Michael Pena. I didn't know there was Mexican Scientologist. Me Michael Pena, <laughs> the great actor Michael Pena, is a Scientologist. Now, wow. are you ready? This one may be, you may be a little too young for this one. This one, to me, he carries such significant cultural value, mm -hmm. and I respect him so much as an artist that this one was really kind of difficult. It's uh, Beck. Beck? The Beck, musician? The musician, what? who is generally considered kind of... It's hard to criticize Beck because it's just what he means to the culture, especially back in the day. But yeah, Beck is a total fucking Scientologist. Dude, Isn't that, that crazy? Yeah, man. A lot of people are. But uh, but yeah, so I like when things stay the same. I get why people hate change. Like I hated my Gmail, you know, this morning. Um, I got the new copy of Madden last night. I still haven't gotten a chance to play it because when you buy games for Xbox One, especially Madden, it takes three fucking hours to download it. I have the disc. Just let me play it. I have the disc. Like the Nintendo Entertainment System, I could play immediately. How, why has technology regressed in terms of load times from the 8-bit NES cartridge? But like Madden is the worst at changing shit just to change shit. Like every three years, they ruin Madden, I think to ruin it on purpose, to make you buy next year's version. Like do you remember QB Vision? Like what genius decided QB Vision was a good idea? Like if you don't remember what QB Vision was, you had to literally move the quarterback's head to look at the receiver 
before you could throw it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like whoever thought that shit up should have his college degree revoked. Like honestly, there should be I think our society would be a lot better if you could revoke college degrees based on idiocy. <laughs> like if you do something in your normal professional life that's just so blaringly dumb, you should lose your college degree. <laughs> Okay, because college degrees don't have any value right now. A college degree is a new high school degree. A graduate degree is a new college degree. Let's bring have college degrees have value again. We need to revoke college degrees. But you actually had to move the quarterback's head to look at the receiver. It was ridiculous. But I like the halftime. At halftime, you'd actually have to cut and snort the Vicodin that you'd use as painkiller. So it was very <laughs> realistic. It was very realistic. Yeah, but people don't like change, and I get that. I happen to think Last Jedi may be the worst film ever made in the history of film. It goes like, it goes like, uh, Ren Lenny Reifenstahl, <laughs> the Nazi propaganda director. It goes snuff films, and then just right there, you know, just just barely perceptibly better than those is the Last Jedi. It's terrible. So I get it. You know, I get it. Like I had a teacher in seventh grade. His name, uh, his name was Mr. Arnold, and he spent the entire like you know how last day of class is, Tommy. I don't know how it is for you, but last day of class, you don't do anything really, no. right? It's like such a great feeling. So this guy, Mr. Arnold, spent the last day of class, the entire period, talking about how Packies and Indians shouldn't have nuclear weapons. <laughs> that Jesus. Was, he said Packies as he well. Said, yeah, and there was only one brown motherfucker in that class. Like, I'm pretty sure he was looking at me the whole time he was talking. It was like, dude, I don't make this policy, dude. It's not up to me to call whoever's president <laughs> and make that policy. And this guy's ranting about nuclear weapons to seventh graders. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's weird. Like, maybe you shouldn't have nuclear weapons, guy. But that was exciting <laughs> for me. That was very exciting for me to uh, to get specific brown person, to get specific Indian person racism. Because mm. Indians, we usually get like, um, how do I put this? We usually get the general brown people racism. You know, like we get lumped in with everything. Like, oh, every brown person is a terrorist. Like sometimes we'll get like the 7-Eleven stuff or whatever. But I don't even really see that as a racial slur. When I hear that, I hear a small business owner. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. my uncle owned a 7-Eleven, and that put kids through college and shit. <laughs> so yeah. I don't really see, yo, fuck you. You own your own business, you bitch. Like, okay, it's all hard, right. It's hard for I'll white take people that. to be specifically racist to Indians because Indians are doing pretty well. Right, Like, right. they're kind of kicking ass. that's what I thought, too. But it's like, it's like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. Who gives a shit? You don't call me 7-Eleven. But so it's rare that we get like specific racism. There's a few few instant cases, few instances like in seventh grade and this guy in Ohio, which is pretty biased. <laughs> he's mad uh, at these Indians playing uh, volleyball at the park, but at least they're not playing cricket, which he sees as a step <laughs> in the right direction. Last year at this time, the Indian crowd was playing cricket. And I'm happy to report that this year we have volleyball. <laughs> Like, imagine you're concerned. First of all, this guy's walking around the park completely by himself. His life is so consumed by a hatred of minorities and people that look different. He's policing which games people are playing in the park. And he's supposed to be small government, I bet, too, right? But thank God they're learning. They're playing volleyball. They went from playing brown people sports to gay people sports. Which is a migration towards American way of life, I guess. Um, I applaud them for. I, I applaud them for. The physical efforts, but the numbers of people from foreign countries blows my mind out here. You can check out some volleyball action. And cricket has sort of been taken out. Not that great a sir. <laughs> I don't, I don't hate them for doing physical activities, but, you know, just all these goddamn sand gooks all over this place. And what a shitty fucking... Serve. I love that he's giving them serve tips. You know what I mean? Racists are actually known as being great volleyball servers. I don't know if you do that. Let's survey this landscape here. 
You see, this whole area is all Indian Navy. As you can see, this whole area is all Indian. Yo, we procreate, bro. We're like gremlins. Don't feed us after midnight, you know? We don't believe in public affection. We do all that shit behind doors, baby. That's where we keep it sexy. That's why there's so many of us. We got to get out that frustration. But see, I'd say some people see that video and they say racism. I see that video and I take that as a real sign of progress. You know what I mean? The fact that we can, he can differentiate between which brown people to hate from other brown people to hate. Now, that's a real sign of progress. We are moving up in this country. I hope one day, pretty soon, we can be one of the most hated minorities right up there with Mexicans and black people. <laughs> Character. I have a dream. That's my dream. <laughs> That Indian racism won't be lumped in with General Brown racism and that one day we can be hated on our own merits and maybe one day we can be as hated as Mexicans and African Americans. Yes, but that was pretty much my teacher, Mr. Arnold, in seventh grade. I swear to God, this, this, this was so crazy. Not only did we have that on our last day of school, I swear to God, this actually happened. We had a role play debate on slavery. <laughs> like he split the room up <laughs> into two different parts <laughs> and one was like the you know pre-union and pre-confederacy and he let us pick sides and for like four to five days we had debates on slaveries and he like scored it and shit like there was like a winner and like a loser <laughs> and I, I think he got away with it because it was like the 90s and i don't we didn't really have any black people in rural indiana like that school was like uh, so white. I I was pretty much the black kid. I passed for the black kid. I'm pretty sure they thought the Filipino kid was Chinese. They'd never heard of the Philippines. <laughs> so I don't know. It was pretty crazy though. But you know, you can still learn stuff. Like a lot of people give Indiana shit for reasons like that. You know what I mean? And they're like, oh, was it hard to grow up there and stuff? You know, people are really sweet actually. Um, just sometimes they haven't been exposed to stuff. And I always remind people from the coast who are like really quick to judge. Uh, you guys are responsible for better or worse. One for definitely worse. But uh, California is responsible for Ronald Reagan and the birth of the neocon movement. And New York is responsible for Donald Trump and the birth of the neo-prophylactic movement. So I don't know if it's really smart for the coast to judge the middle of the country but uh mr arnold did do uh this one kind of cool thing he'd play these old radio clips in class that i just loved um it's from this guy called paul harvey the rest of the story he was already old past time when i was there and tommy tommy's probably 10 years younger than me tommy do you, you ever heard of paul harvey no. Never heard of Parvi. He had a Super Bowl commercial that kind of went viral. They used his voice. He's got a great radio voice. But, um, yeah, they're called The Rest of the Story. It was huge back in the day, but people don't really know who he is anymore. But they're like rappers who are like commercial rappers now who, like, literally I saw one of these guys doesn't know who DMX is. So what are you going to do? You know, and I'm pretty sure that's the first time Paul Harvey and DMX <laughs> have been mentioned in the same sentence. But they would be these really interesting um, kind of setups. And he'd tell these kind of forgotten stories from history in this like really cool and revealing way. You wouldn't know who it was at the beginning of it, but then you would find out by the end who it was. And it'd be like, you know, American history or really famous musicians and stuff. So, like, stick with me on this. I am going to make sports versions of the rest of the story, which I will play for you first. But I want you to hear um, Paul Harvey's version, and then I want you to hear my version. So this is Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story uh, with a very famous musician. See if you can guess who the musician is before the reveal at the end. Okay? And then we're going to do a sports one. The Rest of the Story. Michael looked down at his basketball jersey. It was drenched with blood. This is a famous musician, by the way. All around him were the shocked expressions of teammates and opposing players. What had happened in those initial eternal moments, Michael wasn't sure. Then, like a hammer crashing on an anvil, the pain struck. The 16-year young basketball team captain 
reeled into the arms of a nearby forward and was helped from the court. A doctor was on the sidelines to confirm the now obvious. Michael, having collided with an opponent jaw first, had bitten off his own tongue. This is the rest of the story. From the beginning, Michael Phillip was everything that a gung-ho physical education instructor could expect of a son. Throughout his childhood, he was a, a hyperactive blur, climbing trees and fences and throwing and catching balls and never sitting when he could walk and never walking when he could run. There were the predictably consequential injuries, like the time he fell two stories out of a pine tree he was scaling, or the time he was vaulting from one backyard to another and impaled his hand on an iron fence spike. But such minor calamities never stopped Michael. By the age of 12, he was teaching physical education at a local army base to the children of personnel there. Michael adapted well to military-style regimentation. In school, he entered officer's training, wherein he marched and drilled with an enthusiasm that overwhelmed his superiors. In his spare time, Michael sang with a little group called the Blue Boys. That is, until that painful collision on the basketball court when he bit off and unwittingly swallowed the tip of his tongue. Afterward, Michael would not even attempt to speak, and for many days he suffered in silence. His buddies in the group visited during his convalescence. I suppose your singing days are over, one of them said sadly, and Michael nodded. Nobody had imagined the frightening extent to which his injury had altered his voice forever and not just his enunciation, but his entire voice. For weeks later, when next the Blue Boys met to rehearse, Michael did try to sing, but the crisp, refined intonation the others had known so well was gone, and in its place was the weirdest, the grittiest sound that any of them had ever heard. Good thing Michael was athletically inclined, the others agreed, because no way would he be able now to allow people to hear what his friends had just heard. But how very wrong they were. For once upon an ordinary high school basketball game, an ordinary teenage jock literally swallowed his own tongue and sealed his future from that day to this. That was many million sellers and many millions of dollars ago. You see, the polite, articulate tongue Michael was born with might have been anyone's. Yet what was left behind when it departed is, is, well, one of a kind. A hard-edged vocal style that forged a rock and roll institution. A brash, brassy presentation that formed the cornerstone of the Rolling Stones. Of course you know the teenage athlete who injured himself, rich and famous, as Michael Philip Jagger. Mick Jagger. Only now you know... The rest of the story. Yeah, how great is that voice, baby? That is a fucking voice. If white people had a thing close to Morgan Freeman, it's that <laughs> fucking voice right there. I love that voice, man. Like sometimes I think my voice is good. If I smoke enough swishers in a day, it gets to like a real sexy place. But that's like guttural, baby. That's like real training, baby. That's like a professional, baby. Did you hear that, sexy? Did you hear that? Did you like that? I don't even want to talk now. I know, right? How could you ever talk? And I just love the whole like construction of it and the way he puts it together. But I think my, the rest of the story is way better. Let's hear it. Because it's real. My rest of the story tells the truth of things. And it's sports related. Are you ready for mine? If I can bring it up. <laughs> I'm getting my Paul Harvey voice. Yeah, this is this is this is Sean Joshi's He wasn't the biggest The rest of the story, if I can cue it up correctly. It is Sean Joshi's The Rest of the Story. When he was little or when he was an adult. No. Max never stood out. He was never lauded. Nobody at work seemed to notice Max. No, Max wasn't special. None of his bosses put him up as a role model or his co-workers for kids or for anybody. Sure, his co-workers liked him. Max was a heck of a guy. And if they made him all like that down in Texas, how'd anybody ever get any work done? Max didn't come in early or leave late. That just wasn't Max. In fact, it was the opposite. If anything, Max came in late and left early. See, everybody was married at the job, at the company. 
not Max and his buddy Paul. They'd stay out all night cavorting and carousing, much to the chagrin and sometimes envy of their fellow co-workers. Do you like the way I get the Paul Harvey cadence? Do you like that? Oh, I, I was that. just falling right into Amazed, it. baby. Hypnotic. Right, out cavorting, carousing. But Max and Paul didn't care. It was life and they were having a good time. Hell, the bosses know where I am and they know I'll show up to work no problem, Paul would say. But he didn't say that about Max and neither did his bosses. Because you see, this was a big day for the company and the biggest meeting in the company's history. This publicly held company that Max and Paul worked for was about to have a big day and their bosses wanted them on their best behavior. But Max and Paul were single. And besides, Max was getting ready to retire. What did he care? He wasn't planning on taking a major part in what was going to be the biggest day in the history of that company. And Paul's best days at the company were behind him too. So Max put together a couple of what they call stewardesses back in that day. And he called Paul and he said, I'm sneaking out at 11. I've got two girls and yours is gorgeous. Come out. Have a couple of drinks with us. Now Paul thought about it, meeting his good buddy Max. But he thought better of it. He was going to change. He was going to become more mature. Besides, if he missed the big meeting tomorrow, it could cost him five grand. Not to add, Paul was getting married later in the week. So he told Max he better not, and he hung up the phone, proud of himself and his fidelity and his newfound responsibility. He wouldn't hear from Max that night. In fact, he wouldn't hear from him until he got a call at 6.30 in the morning the following day. It was Max. He was down in the hotel lobby. He was drunk, but by God, if he didn't make love to two beautiful women the night before. And Paul helped his buddy out. He snuck him up to his room where the snail inebriated Max smelled like the bar the night before. He told Paul and his fellow co-workers he would be at the meeting, but he wouldn't be helping them plan beforehand. I was out all night, Max said, and I had a few more drinks than I should have. And I didn't get much sleep. Besides, Max wasn't planning on taking part in the meeting. There were younger people in the company, more focused, better suited to the role. But that wouldn't be the case. Not only would Max participate in the meeting, he would make history that day. For you see, his friend Paul was the great Paul Horning. And Max was Max McGee. And this wasn't just any meeting, and this wasn't just any company. This was the Green Bay Packers, and the meeting was with the Kansas City Chiefs in Super Bowl I. And Max McGee had one of the worst hangovers of his life. I hope you don't get hurt. I'm not in very good shape. He's told star-wide receiver Boyd Dowler. But Boyd did get hurt, and Max would have to play. And boy, did Max play. It didn't start off well. He forgot his helmet. He would have to wear an offensive lineman's helmet. The cage was all wrong. He could barely see. But Max would see. He checked into the game, and a few plays later, Bart Starr threw an errant pass down the middle. Max McGee caught that pass one-handed and ran it 37 yards to score the first touchdown in Super Bowl history. He wasn't done either. Max had seven catches on the day for 138 yards and two touchdowns. A miraculous performance in the worst of circumstances. A performance so good Max would play another year. He wouldn't retire. And he would score a 35-yard touchdown in Super Bowl II as well. But you see, history might be different. We might not have Green Bay or Vince Lombardi or that stadium with that frozen tundra in that place known as Titletown, Green Bay, Wisconsin. If it wasn't for Max, those two women and a little something called whiskey. And now you know the rest of the story. Yeah! Wow.
there. A People's Choice Award. A VMA. A Porn Award. I want it all. That's my rest of the story. And I think it's way better. I may not make it to the National Radio Hall of Fame, but I will have that. We're going to end the podcast with those now. We're going to do a rest of the story every week. Mine, mine will be like kind of similar, but there's going to be a lot more cocaine and strippers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to tell some of the great stories of sports and the great untold stories uh, of sports through that and that's how we're gonna end the shows on weeks and i think it's gonna be super fucking fun and i have a whole bunch of those lined up for you guys did you learn anything today tommy did you learn about that i learned i need to get drunk more and care less about responsibilities what responsibilities tommy you already issue all your responsibilities to the podcast already you have no responsibilities what little responsibility i give you you always fuck up all right i love you tommy i love you Okay, moving on. That's going to be fun. We're going to be doing those at the end. Those are going to be super cool. We got some fun stuff. Uh, We're going to move on to our AFC preview. So the season is underway. The Colts and Ravens are playing right now as we speak. That countdown to the regular season is here any minute, but training camps are afoot. And training camps is really interesting in the NFL. You know, NBA, they never actually have an offseason. And they say the same thing about the NFL, but it's not quite the same. You know what I mean? Like, the NBA never really has that lull. But NFL definitely lulls, but it picks up with training camps. And the thing I love about NFL training camps is you pick up the whispers and you can kind of see who's going to be good, who's going to be bad. And usually they bear out and they bear fruit. Like I remember Russell Wilson in training camp. He was, uh, remember they signed Matt Flynn for a bunch, a buttload of money, a huge ass load of money. And they got Wilson third, fourth, fifth round. I think it was third round. But you were hearing in, in camp about how much, uh, Russell Wilson was outworking Matt Flynn, outplaying Matt Flynn, and it got to the point where it just became obvious uh, that Wilson was going to start. And when he did week one, that came to a shock to a lot of people, but not those people who were paying attention to training camp. And that is what I'm going to do for you people, because unlike you guys, I am fun employed, so I can learn all about the training camps and stuff. So tell me, Tommy, where are we going to start in the AFC, baby? Starting with the Indianapolis Colts. What do you know? Starting with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Takeaway from the Colts this offseason, and very important, is that Andrew Luck's arm is still attached to his body. Yeah. Round of applause for Andrew Luck's arm still being attached to his body. The last time uh, he played a regular season game was January 1, 2016. January 1, 2016. That's crazy. I had hair then. I had hair January 1, 2016. We had, what else was going on then? We had somebody named, uh, Bur- I don't know how you pronounce this, Barack Hussein Obama. Is it pronounced Obama? Obama was apparently president. I don't remember. Have you ever heard of that guy? Have you heard of that guy? I can't say I have. Yeah, me either. I don't, I don't seem to remember a Barack Obama that seemed so long ago and was also so long ago that this was the number one song in the country the last time Andrew Luck played a regular season game. Dog, I meet women, discreet women, street women, slash, Cocoa Puff, sweet women, make you want women, but not me. That's DMX. I had to bring back the DMX. I had to bring back the DMX. Do you even know who DMX is, Tommy? Yeah, I know who DMX is. Tommy knows who DMX is. Who do we have next on the list? Raiders. Raiders, bitch. Here's what you have to learn from training camp with the Raiders. John Gruden is out of his goddamn mind, okay? (laughs) This guy is crazy. Here's a list of what John Gruden has done in the offseason, okay? He's having quarterbacks... Throw the balls without laces. List of what John Gruden is doing in the offseason. He has team watching film from the 70s. List of what John Gruden is doing in the offseason. Lots of cocaine. All right, next up we have the Ravens. Ravens! The lovely Baltimore Ravens who are playing the Indianapolis Colts right now. This year... Maybe the first year Joe Flacco provides a heartbeat since at least 
2014. He's a man who has showed a less emotional complexity than Wilson uh, in, in Castaway. That was a volleyball with range. Never so heartily have I cried over an inanimate object like I did with that fucking volleyball. That volleyball made me a better man. And maybe he can make Joe Flacco a better man this year because he has been absolutely abysmal uh, since his Super Bowl run. But all reports out of camp is that the drafting of Lamar Jackson has lit a fire under the man's ass. He's had the best camp they say he's ever had, and he actually showed up to OTAs. Let me tell you something. Joe Flacco never shows up to work out with his receivers. Did you know that? Starting quarterback doesn't show up to work out for his receivers for voluntary practices, which everybody else shows up to. This guy never showed up. He showed up this year, and the reports out of camp is he is throwing the deep ball more accurate than ever. He's more focused than ever. And people, I can't believe I'm saying this, within the Ravens organization are actually expecting a big year out of Joe Flacco. Now, a lot of times through these training camps, uh, these teams are blowing sunshine out of their asses because these GMs want to make it look like that. Yo, they drafted well. Yo, we know what we're, like we know we we look like we know what we're doing and everything. But um, in this case, I actually think it's real because you've had multiple reports from different people, and coupled with that, you have Lamar Jackson, who I don't think is going to be as good as people say. I generally think this crop of rookie quarterbacks has been fantastic. Like, fantastic. Like, we may not have a bad one in the bunch, and if we do, um, I think it's going to be Lamar Jackson. All those other cats are throwing above 50-60% in the preseason games. This cat is thrown at a clip of 36%, which is Hall of Fame in baseball, but in football, eh, not so good. Who do we got next, Tommy? Moving on to the Jets. The Jets! The J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Among the most annoying fan bases you can encounter when you're in a bar outside of your home city. But I actually think for the first time in many years, the Jets have something to look forward to, and that look forward to is Sam Darnold, part of that previously mentioned group of quarterbacks. The cat's good. He's a good kid. He throws the ball accurately. He's above 60% in the preseason, which is great. And by all means, it seems like he's definitely beating out Josh McCown and at least playing even with Teddy Bridgewater. But I think Teddy Bridgewater is actually the most um, not important story in the Jets camp, but definitely the most interesting. Like uh, He went through the kind of devastating leg injury that people just don't come back from. And people don't really remember where Bridgewater was before the injury. I mean, this cat was on a level considered kind of like Russell Wilson was in his first year or two in Seattle and Carson Wentz was in his first year or two in Minnesota. To Minnesota, they had found, you know, their quarterback that they were going to pair with Adrian Peterson and, and make some noise. And when he lost his, his leg injury... Uh, Minnesota kind of lost their way as well. But he's back now, and from what it seems like, he has been at least the best quarterback or even with Darnold, which is really fucking interesting because you just don't grow quarterbacks on trees. And if I was a certain team, (coughs) Jacksonville Jaguars, I would (laughs) totally be looking at trading for a guy like Bridgewater because I think, I think that takes a team like the Jaguars into real Super Bowl kind of aspirations. But I think Darnold is really going to be a good one. Um, but he looks like a douche, you know? He looks like his name would be Vance, right? He looks like a guy who would say, I own these slopes, ski slopes. <laughs> like I feel like he said that maybe three or four times in his year. I don't know. But who do we got next? The Browns. Brownies continuing looking at these rookie quarterbacks. These class of rookie quarterbacks really, um, they kind of remind me of 84 when you had Elway and Marino and Kelly. Now, I know that's really early, but to say that, and I'll get into kind of uh, a little a little later why I think that is, but um, Baker fucking Mayfield is the truth, Okay. This guy is good. And I didn't believe it, to be honest with you. 
You know, even when all the analytics people were hopped up on this guy, and they were. Like, the football people were completely uh, against Baker. They saw him as another Johnny football. Um, and I was kind of in their camp as well. But the analytics people uh, love this guy. And and I can see why. He is the most accurate passer in FBS history, and uh, which is important. But more than that, it's the fact that he can make all the throws that he needs to make. Okay, He's a small guy. His arm is not the strongest, but he can put it where it needs to go. He can put it over the top, which is important and is fun. But, Fanatics listeners, if you want to have the true judge of a quarterback, if you want to see if a quarterback is good or not good, if he can play in the NFL, there is one throw that every quarterback needs to make. And when they can't make it anymore, they're in trouble. It happened to Peyton. When Peyton lost a little zip on the ball, he had a hard time making this throw. And that is the 15-yard out towards the sideline. If you have a guy who can throw a 15-yard out and put it there with some zip on it, you got a guy who can play in this league, and Baker can fucking do that, man. Baker can really do that. So if I was Brownies, I'd be excited. And not only that, you got Tarod Taylor, who is one of the most underrated quarterbacks um, of his era, really. I think he has the third best TD to interception ratio um, the last three years after like after Tom Brady and, and uh, Breeze, I think it is actually. But the interesting thing about Tarod is apparently everyone's been saying his name wrong for the last eight years. And the guy didn't correct anybody. You know what I mean? How are you going to let somebody say your name wrong for like eight years? I don't get that. Like I always knew it was my uh, name on roll call on the first day of school. Because the teacher would just like, they'd be reading the list, Dave, John, Becky, right? And then they just <laughs> they would just pause. And the teacher would lift their glasses and they'd look at the page you know what I mean? And they would just stare. Like, I remember, I, I think it was like home ec or something. I don't know what you call it. It was something like home ec. I got a D in that class, but I got a D in a lot of classes. But the teacher goes, the teacher goes, Sha'an Yeshaya. I was like, what the fuck? He goes, Sha'an Yeshaya. And I go, it's Sean Joe. She. So for the rest of the class, the rest of the semester, every kid called me Joe. She. Next team, Tommy. Oof. Sounds rough. Next up, we got the Bills. The Billies. The Buffalo Billies. Now, this is what I'm talking about. I can smell quarterback bus. From a mile away. It's a special talent I have. Okay? It's a skill. And I have a huge nose. <laughs> Which helps. Christian Ponder? I knew he was absolute sewage. Blaine Gabbard? A tool in the form of stool. Josh Allen? Now for sure. I thought Josh Allen would join this list of rectal wasteoids. But no. He's been pretty good. Been pretty, pretty good. So congrats to Josh Allen. You may not be total ass, my friend. And for a franchise that's going to be in Toronto before 2038, that's something. But it's actually a really good crop of quarterbacks uh, taken in the first round. I don't see a stinker in the bunch. You know, my initial stinker, my dog log, was Josh Allen. But I think I may be shifting that to Lamar Jackson. And it's still too early. It's still too early to call it on that as well. So we'll see. I'm pretty excited about these group of quarterbacks. And it's really important for the NFL too because the NFL has not, I would argue, had great uh, quarterback play the last few years. And that's even with all the rules changes. Like it's all the old guys who are still pushing the league. It's it's Roethlisberger and Breeds and Brady. And there's not a lot of young stars and there's not a lot of young talent out there. So please... Be good, Josh Allen. The Bills fans could use it, man. Next team. Jaguars. Jaggies. Holy shit. The Jaguars talk a lot of shit, man. 
do they talk a lot of shit? We had um, what's his face, uh, Jalen Ramsey, who is a great player. I love Jalen Ramsey, uh, and I love his mouth too. I love motherfuckers that are real. First of all, like the great thing about Hard Knocks right now is how real that shit is. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like I, I love when David Njoku, who is the tight end for the Browns, he's just dropping fucking everything. And he walks off the field. And <laughs> one of the defensive players goes, uh, goes, hey, David, you better get on the jugs machine, the catching machine, the jugs machine. And David just responds, fuck you. He goes, all right, good talk there, guy. Good talk. And the other guy looks at him and he yells at him. He goes, man, you couldn't catch a cold butt-ass naked in Alaska. I love it when people talk shit like that. So Jalen Ramsey came out and he basically lambasted half the fucking league like he should. Here's a list of quarterbacks that he thinks are trash. <laughs> Andrew Luck. I don't really think he's that good. Ben Roethlisberger. Eh, decent at best. Jared Goff. Average to above average. Jimmy Garofalo. Eh, all schemes. I guess you could say he's good. Joe Flacco. One word, sucks. Josh Allen. He goes, man, I think that dude is trash. He says to Josh Allen. He goes, anybody who can't complete 50%. So he goes, I'm looking forward to playing that dude. I hope he starts. So that's great. But I think I think who uh, who Jalen Ramsey should look at is uh, his own quarterback, who is a complete fucking rectal wasteoid as far as they go. And that's Blake fucking Bortles, dude. Blake Bortles will single-handedly team that, uh, hold that team back from doing anything significant. You can't win uh, these days with the rules changes, especially what's going to be happening this year. You guys are going to see a game of football like you've never seen before, and I don't generally mean that in a good way. You know, we're going to have controversies this year, and a lot of them are going to be generated from whatever is going on in Washington. But the other controversy, the real controversy you're going to see is normal tackles form tackles what's traditionally been known as form tackles uh kind of being outlawed and called in a completely ridiculous fashion where defenders can't even they literally can't even play the game anymore uh and you're already seeing this in the preseason but it's going to lead to this kind of increase in scoring and change of, of pace and change of gameplay in a way that we've never seen before and this is going to bear out over the next three or four seasons until the game kinds of it kind of adjusts but you know it's already a quarterback centric league and where it's going it's going to be so hard to play effective defense it's going to be so hard and you really are going to need a quarterback who can do things for you and move the ball and the Jaguars just aren't going to have that you can have the great greatest defense Jalen Ramsey those great defensive linemen you can add Clay Campbell and draft more and Dante Fowler but unless you're going to be able to score the ball you're going to suck ass who we got next baby Broncos. The Broncos. What do I have to say about the Broncos, Tommy? Paxton Lynch. Paxton Lynch. Doesn't that sound like a Confederate war general? <laughs> yeah, I'm a Paxton Lynch. All I have to say to Broncos fans is you should have appreciated the greatest natural resource in American history, and that is why you had him, and that is one Peyton Williams Manning, because you all have been dog shit since he left. And the only reason I'm giving you shit for that is because you guys treated him very kindly while he was scoring 55 uh, touchdowns a year for you and generally elevating a trash defense and giving John Elway the space to create a, a good organization around him because it wouldn't have been unless Peyton was there. But the minute the guy had the slightest bit of adversity, y'all are booing him, calling him trash. The official Broncos Twitter page, after he retires, tweets out his numbers for that year and says, oh, we can replicate that, no problem. What happened next year? Problem. You didn't make the fucking playoffs. And you haven't been relevant since Peyton left. It was not Gary the bum Kubiak. Who Peyton teabagged on twice a year for the better part of a decade. It wasn't that bum. It was Peyton. 
And the arm may not have been there, but he knew how to manage the fucking game. Brock Osweiler would not have gotten you there. What was the game? Week 16? Week 17? Home field advantage in doubt? Osweiler's losing to the Chargers? What happens? Peyton trots on the field. Second quarter, third quarter, what happens? Broncos win the fucking game. That's what the fuck happens. And he didn't have the biggest stats. It wasn't flashy. But football does not fit into analytics perfectly. That's why I can kind of see uh, an analytics resistance in football. It's not a congruent game. It doesn't work like that. You can't, you can't boil football down into the same statistical values that are representative of um, you know, the actual play in the same way that you can in basketball and in baseball. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. That's how Peyton Manning can come in and win that game. That's how he throws two touchdowns in the second quarter in the AFC Championship against the Patriots. Yeah, so appreciate Peyton. Because now, you're loving Mr. Irrelevant Chad Kelly, who was Chad uh, Swag Kelly, who was the last pick, 253rd in the 2017 NFL Draft, who has now beaten Paxton Lynch. On the depth chart. First round pick, Patton Lynch, who was traded for. And Paxton Lynch is terrible. He may have been a great Confederate general, but he might be the worst player ever to play football. I think it goes like uh, worst football players of all time. He goes Mother Teresa, uh, Gandhi during his prison strike, and then Paxton Lynch. Who we got next? Next up is the Chiefs. Chiefs! I love Chiefies. I love the Chiefs. Not traditionally. I did love the Chiefs for a little bit of a time. Okay? When Joe Montana, I was a total Joe Montana stand. When he got traded, when I was five years old, to uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, I got myself a starter jacket. I got myself the Chiefs starter jacket, and that was a great run. But I think finally the Kansas City Chiefs uh, have got themselves their next great franchise quarterback. Um, you know, they had Alex Smith and and Elvis Gerbach before that, and Trent Green. But I think Patrick Mahomes is just amazing. I don't know if you saw that throw in the second quarter against the Falcons, but my God. Okay? The throw against the Falcons, second quarter, hitting Tyreek Hill in stride. 70 yards in the air. It was just fantastic. Forget the renaissance. That was fucking art, baby. It just stands out on the tape. Like, you remember... The first time you saw Heath Ledger as Joker, and you're like, oh, shit. That was something fucking different. That was something different with Patrick Mahomes. The man is a god. I say, ye heathens, fashion a golden calf in the shape of Patrick Mahomes because, my God, he is a fucking idol. Uh, when I saw Aaron Rodgers first throw a football against the Cowboys in the regular season in relief of Brett Favre, I thought, wow, this guy is really good or the Cowboys are just that shitty. You know, and then I watched him the next full season, and you could see right away this guy throws the best ball in football. Okay? Patrick Mahomes throws the best ball I've ever seen. I don't even know if that's how you say your, his name. He throws the best ball I have ever seen. We could be looking at the future of the sport. That's how high I am on this kid. I get why they kicked Alex Smith out of town. But please, I also thought um, Michael Beasley and Brady Quinn were going to be Hall of Famers. But those are my only misses and Cold Aldrich. What else about the Chiefs? I think they're one of the major contenders this year. Um, you know, the problem is they don't have a defense. Well, they don't have cornerbacks. You know, they got rid of Marcus Peters. Um, they have Kendall Fuller from the Redskins who had a good camp, you know, but he's a slot corner, going to be moving in the number one position. In the hardest position in sports. Cornerback is the hardest position in sports. You're out on an island against wide receivers who are the best athletes along with guards and basketball in the world. And the only time you get noticed as a cornerback is when you get beat. Have you ever tried to play cornerback? It's fucking impossible. Darrell Revis was the best of our generation. He loses a step and everybody shits on him until he retires. You know? You got to be a sadist to be a corner, be a cornerback. Where's that term sadist come from, Tommy? Do you know? Making people sad. Making people sad. No, 
It comes from the Marquis de Sade. Do you know the Marquis de Sade? I do not. Famous for such works as Dialogue Between a Priest and a Dying Man, <laughs> Philosophy in the Bedroom. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Philosophy in the Bedroom. And his most famous work, 120 Days of Sodomy, <laughs> also known as Tommy's Last Vacation of France. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's Fanatics, the only place you get sports, sodomy, and 19th century French literature. Who do we have next? <laughs> the Dolphins. Fuck the Dolphins, man. I'm so sick of the fucking AFC East. You guys haven't done shit against the Patriots for two and a half decades. Who's running that shit? Like, you could have had me, Tommy, you know, a guy who only knows about the Arsenal Gunners, a bag <laughs> of shitty weed, and, like, an inexhaustible supply of Jack Daniels whiskey, and just, a literally, just a board of names with each draft. And we could have assembled a better team than anybody in the AFC East has for the last fucking... 25 years. I'm just so sick of it. Fuck the Dolphins. An absolute trash fire of an organization stuck treading water in some kind of nihilistic hellscape where they never so much as, you know, send a threatening queef in the direction of Tom Brady and Patriots. The entire AFC East has been shit for so long. I'm disgusted. Who else? What do we have next? Texans. Texans. Uh, this is my AFC team. This is what I'm picking. If I had to put money, if I had to... If I had to bet the farm, baby, if I had to bet the farm on one team in the AFC, it would be the Texans. I just think they're fucking viciously stacked. I think they're viciously stacked. They got DeAndre Hopkins, that other kid who's there in the first-round draft pick. You know what I mean? Good run game. Deshaun Stevens, just an absolute fucking holy terror. And on defense, are you kidding me? On defense, are you fucking kidding me? With the dirtiness, the disgustingness on defense? What? Jadeveon Clowney, J.J. Watt, Honey Badger. They got the linebackers. They got the cornerbacks. Baby, that looks like a Super Bowl team. Book it. Book it. Tommy, did you book it? I booked it. Book it. What about next? Bengals. This is another one. Like, for different reasons than the AFC East, because they've had some success, you know, but I'm just sick of, I'm not going to talk about the Bengals until they win a fucking playoff game. Win a playoff game. Win a playoff game. Okay? That goes for you, Red Rocket. It's just an absolute trash fire of an organization. The owner doesn't care about winning games. He doesn't give a shit about winning games. He's one of those uh, owners, like, you know those throwback owners, like, from the 70s and shit? You know, who just, like, runs the team for profit so they don't spend as much money as they can on the roster? Like, we have a we have a pilled-out kind of like codeined out owner Jim Ursay. like literally the guy will just go on pills on TV and talk it's insane like the guys I was he once got pulled over with a briefcase full of $30,000 in cash Jesus. and shit yeah 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 like he's insane I'm pretty sure he still wears like you know those affliction button-up t-shirts that have like the designs like that's this, that's this guy right <laughs> but he spends money on the team up to the limit that he can you know for even when we have bad teams but uh the Bengals the owner doesn't give a shit. Uh, he spends routinely spends the least amount of money in the NFL, and he's just happy as long as the team turns like a profit. And you never want an owner whose your team is his primary source of income. Okay, you don't want that. You're fucked. They're never gonna spend what it takes. You know? Yeah, that's Arsenal. That is that Arsenal it sucks. See? Yeah. And you can get rid of shitty coaches, shitty players, shitty executives, but you can never get rid of a shitty team owner. It infects the whole organization. It sucks. Yeah. It's like it's like living like in the 16th century and you know you're living in a familial monarchy like bloodline <laughs> yeah. and you got the shitty monarch. You didn't get like fucking Peter the Great. Yeah. You got fucking Ivan the Terrible mm. who's still trying to run the triangle offense on the goddamn Knicks. <laughs> you know what I mean? What you need is you need like an oligarch, like a Russian oligarch. Oh, yeah. Who spends money on the same way he spends money on hookers in Monaco and on elections in the United States. That That's how money. you win in the NFL with that Russian oligarch money. That'll buy you a democracy, including an American one. Can you imagine what it can do on the field? Right? Anyways. But on the other side, uh, John Ross, Ross looks great. <laughs> <laughs> 
AJ Green is the most underrated player in the NFL, and uh, I think generally this team needs a new quarterback. Tuddy Bridgewater, anybody? Mm-hmm. Who do we got next? Steelers. Steelers. Um, Steelers are the same every year. The offense is going to look. The offense is going to be great. Um, schematically, I don't think they ever should have moved on from Dick LeBeau, who literally invented the three-four defenses, and still coaching in Tennessee. I think this year he'll be coaching as well. But, you know, they're going to put it together. They're going to be great. I think the Browns are going to challenge them for that division. Um, But in terms of what you see there in camp, you know, they had really shaky defensive play, you know, Dick LeBeau gone, and they had really shaky linebacker play. I think, actually, John Bostick seems to be the answer at inside linebacker, Steelers fans, so be happy. The defense does look shaky, but, hey, Roethlisberger is still a douche. Who we got next? Titans. Titans, one of the most boring franchises in sports. But, uh, you know, they shouldn't be boring. They really shouldn't. Like, they have really dynamic and exciting talent on the offensive side of the ball. But it's like, uh, how do I say it? It's a come-together year for Mariota. Come together, baby. He's got the first-round tie, a wide receiver, tight end, great running backs, a line. You either put it together, you start to win games, or you don't. And I don't think they will, to be honest with you. Like, in terms of moving forward, uh, football is a game of fucking schemes. I love football for that reason. It's like chess, except for every play resets itself. Strategically, it's a fucking beautiful game. Like, it's so beautiful. Uh, the matchups, the mental matchups, when you have, like, really smart football player, a really smart quarterback versus a really smart defense coordinator coach. Like, those Peyton Manning versus Bill Belichick games, holy shit, they were great. And what's going on schematically right now, uh, schematically with NFL offenses, is a lot of what's going on in Philadelphia, a lot of that movement, a lot of short strikes around the pocket, a run-and-gun offense built around a movement quarterback. If there's one team in the NFL built for that, it's the Tennessee Titans. So wouldn't you get a coach who's forward-thinking schematically within that? Wouldn't you get an offensive innovator who can get the most out of, uh, out of Marietta's skill set? No, they hire Mike Vrabel, a defensive coach, famous for his time in New England, who is a defensive coordinator uh, with Houston last year and is not particularly regarded as a forward-thinker in NFL circles as exactly the opposite. But fuck the Titans. They're the worst name and logo, and the unis in sports. I'm getting bored just thinking. They look like the default creative franchise in Madden. Who we got, who we got next? Everybody's favorite team, the Patriots. Fuck the Patriots. <laughs> this, will, this will be, are you ready for my foolish prediction of this podcast? This will be Tom Brady's oh boy. last year in the NFL, okay? Because they can't protect him. They can't protect him. They can't. They have a. Uh, they lost uh, whatever his big their big left left tackle, uh, Volmer, who signed with the New York Jets. It was already a shaky line. Like Belichick's great ability. This is this is where I defer to the genius of Belichick. At the beginning of the year last year, that defense was absolute trash fire. It was the Blake Bortles of defenses. And when Belichick took that defense, completely lacking in talent from the beginning of the year to where they were at the end of the year, just like absolutely fucking bonkers. Amazing, okay? But Belichick is a defensive coach, and he's always, when they've had down years, it's been when they haven't had the offensive coaching there uh, to kind of carry them to that next level, right? They're going to have a tough time this year because they lost their left tackle, and the guy that they just drafted is hurt now. And they were already thin on talent last year. So I would not be surprised at all if this was Tom Brady's last year, which I don't celebrate. I hate the Patriots, but man, what the fuck are you going to do? But enough of me being nice. Who do we have? Who is our last AFC team? The Chargers. What to say about the Chargers? I don't know. I don't know what to say about the Chargers. I don't know. You know, the Chargers are those one of those teams that it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what their talent level is. Um... It doesn't matter who who's on their team as long as Philip Rivers. They're, they're going to be uneven, and they're going to be inconsistent. And that's just the way they are. But my favorite thing about the Chargers is that Philip Rivers, guys, he cares about your kids. 
You know what I mean? He cares about their sex life, and he just wants them to be virgins. All right? So please, for the sake of Philip Rivers, don't let your kids have sex. And that's all I have to say about the Chargers, okay? What do you have to say about it, Tommy? Well, I've never had sex, so I'm This is what I'm talking about. You know, sodomy counts as sex these days, Tommy. Oh, well, in that case, I am totally (laughs) on the other end of the spectrum. Thank you for being here, guys. Thank you for joining us for our uh, episode today. We had AFC previews. We're going to do some fun stuff in the future with the rest of the story with some of the other guys as well. Find us at Fanatics Pod on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, and, yeah, we'll play you out with Philip Rivers talking about the gift of virginity. The way I see it is, you'd, you'd hope your wife's an amateur as well. You know, I mean, you hope. I mean, that's what made it makes it so great is that it, it's the first for both of you, and and that's why it to, to me it is there's no it couldn't be any better. You know, however it plays out because it is it is brand new in the way it should be for all of us. And and now that I have daughters, I don't look at it any different way, but it, it even adds to it. You know, you know, I've heard the analogy. You know, we're, we're you know. Your future wife, you know, how is a guy treating her right now that you've never met? Or how, you know, what is she doing right now? And, and I think that's the thing to remember. Now that I have a daughter, you know, what, how am I going to teach her, you know, as she's growing up and how to be and how to, you know, be pure in, in her relationships? And it's, uh, it's, it's the greatest gift you can give your wife and vice versa.